As I was thinking about this week, I was reminded of the very first time that I ever uh, set foot in a amusement park, a roller coaster, you know, kind of, you know, theme park. And I was about seven years old. Uh, there's this great roller coaster park called Cedar Point, just a couple hours from where I grew up in Ohio. One of my best friends, his, his family took me with them to go because we'd never been, I'd never been. So he, he, he took me along. And I had never, uh, you know, been in one of these places. And I can remember when you first walked in the entrance. This is about 1984, maybe 85. I was about six or seven years old. And when you first came into the theme park, you were greeted with, like, the newest kind of hottest ride. This was the ride that, like, everyone was talking about. People were waiting hours for. And it was one of the first of its kind of the rides that kind of took you straight up and dropped you straight down. It was this ride called the Demon Drop. And, uh, and it was 60-foot drop, you know, 18-meter drop. It was right there when you walked in the front doors. Now, I can remember going in those front doors and seeing this ride, and everybody talked about it. You knew about it. You'd heard about it. And I'm like, there it is. And it was like, whoa, that looks scary. So, like, that's okay. We won't start with the demon drop. So we started to ride some rides. The first ride that I ever went on, you know, I was probably six or seven, and, and we went on a ride. It's like, you know, you're not going to start. We're not going to start with this ride. Let's start and work our way up. So we started with this ride called the Pirate Ride. Now, the Pirate Ride, you kind of sat in a chair with a few people, and you moved only a little bit faster than what you're moving right now. And you kind of went through this corridor in these chairs. It was kind of lovely, and there were some pirates and a couple kind of uh, maybe little people jump out. or say, It wasn't, wasn't too scary. Okay, that was cool. That wasn't bad. We're off. We're running. We're doing something here. Okay. Then we went from there to my very first roller coaster. It was just around the corner, just uh, right near that pirate ride. And we went on this ride called the Blue Streak. The Blue Streak was built in the late 1700s. And so it wasn't terrible. Actually, it was a little bit later than that. But it was the first ride they ever built in this theme park, probably in the 40s or 50s, something like that. And so it was like, whoa, Blue Streak. And this thing, it felt, though, at the time, I mean, it, it, at the time, it felt gigantic. And we went up this hill. And I can remember going up this hill, the first roller coaster I'd ever ridden, you know, and you ride and you got all that anticipation. You're like, oh, man, what's going to happen? And my friend's mom, I rode with her because I was a little, feeling a little bit nervous. And she was telling me, you know, don't, don't worry. Just here, look out. Look at Lake Erie. It's beautiful. And she kind of helped me through it. And then we, boom, went on this ride, went on the whole thing. Thought I was going to die for most of the ride. Just kind of my breath was, couldn't even scream. I was so kind of scared. Get to the end, like, whoa, that was pretty cool. All right, all right, we're off, we're running. So then we went through the whole day. We're going from ride to ride. The rides are getting bigger. The rides are getting bigger. Riding more, riding more, riding more. And it was like the momentum was building. And everything that seemed scarier at the beginning of the day was feeling a little bit less scary. And, and it was just kind of going from one to the next. It got to the end of the day. So we're now back to the exit. We're back by the entrance exit point. And there it is. It's just standing there waiting for me. The one ride that you really go to Cedar Point to see that year. The ride everyone's going to be talking about. They're like, all right, are you ready? Are you ready for the demon drop? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, I think I'm good here. That was awesome. Blue Streak was great. You know, Gemini was awesome. I'm going to sit this one out. I remember my friend Eric, he was like, yeah, I'm up for it. He went, he got in line. I, you know, just stood there then waiting and, and they're going through the line and he's on it. And I'm standing there. I'm just like, man, I, I missed it. I'm, I'm not, I was like, but I just, I just can't. And then I remember leaving with this kind of profound sense of disappointment at like, I can't, you know, I just, but I couldn't. 
The thing about that moment, you know, is, is amazing. I, I kind of, you know, the whole day, it was like things were building, was going forward, taking steps, doing this, doing that, growing, growing. could feel the momentum building. But I came face to face in the evening with the one thing that is an absolute momentum killer in your life, that is an absolute momentum stopper for anyone or any group of people seeking to go forward, and that was fear. I, I just, I got to it, and I was, you know, I mean, I was only six or seven. I was little. In fact, maybe I was two or three. I can't recall exactly. But that night, that evening, I just, it was like, I mean, I'd been going. It had been happening, but for some reason, all of a sudden, it was like, this, this one's too much. The fear was a little bit too great. I don't even know why to some extent, why was I so fearful? I mean, I had experienced nothing throughout the day that should have made me, in one sense, afraid that I would somehow not survive that ride. I mean, I've been on ride after ride. Every person I watched get onto a car got off of the car at the end one way or another. I didn't see any rides in the entire day that ended in a blazing inferno, you know. There was really, I should have at that point had enough, but it was just, you know what stopped it? It was just fear. I couldn't explain it. It wasn't necessarily rational. It was just fear. And, you know, the reason that I want to talk about this whole kind of idea today, week two of momentum, is because as we talk about momentum, what it looks like to keep taking steps forward as you follow Jesus, as we think about as a church what it looks like to keep taking steps forward, to see, to build momentum. Can I tell you something? We will never go forward until we address the one thing that has the most power to stop us in our tracks, and that is fear. And I want to talk today about how we, how we become a more fearless people as we follow Jesus. Because I know that you know, some of us, even in this time of momentum, or, or maybe there's some things you're going through in your life, and you know you kind of want to go forward, and you want to take another step with God, or there's something he's calling you to, or, or you think, yeah, I love what he's calling us to, I want to be a part, but the one thing that, that usually will rear its head the most to say, no, 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 I know you want to, but no, it's fear. And fear can cause us to miss out on great things that we could have been part of. It can cause us to miss out on great things God wants to do in our lives. So I want to talk today about how we, how do we conquer that? How do we become a more fearless people? Wouldn't it be great? I mean, imagine what can happen when you actually can follow Christ in a fearless way. That no matter what he would ask you to do, you feel like, yes, yes, I want to be a part of that. So we're going to look today at, at, at the story of a guy who was fearless, kind of known for being fearless. Uh, and we're going to look at the story of David. David was a man in the Old Testament who experienced incredible momentum in his life. The guy's kind of journey from this to this to this took him from being a, a shepherd in a kind of far off forgotten place, the youngest of all his brothers. His journey took him step by step from that to a king. And not just any king, but the king that was known kind of throughout the history of the people of God in Israel. David's journey took him incredible places. David was someone who was just kind of known for being fearless. Many of us are most familiar with perhaps one of David's most famous moments, the story of David and Goliath, when David encountered this battle with a giant and a warrior, this battle that left most people too afraid to engage it, but David engaged it. And, of course, we know how that story ends. But I want to talk today about how that story begins. I want to go back just before David is going to go into that battle, and I want us to get some insight into what made David who he was. What made David so fearless in what God called him to, able to go from step to step in pursuit of what God had for him. 
This is where the story begins. 1 Samuel 17, verse 8. Tells us a story like this. There was this guy, Goliath. And he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel. Their armies are kind of, you know, they're assembled against each other. And he keeps on shouting to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come uh, down to me. And if he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and I kill him, then you'll become subject to us and serve us. Then Phil, the Philistine, Goliath, said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Here was the nature of what was happening for the people of God in this particular moment. They're becoming a nation. They've got a king for the first time in Saul. And they're, here they are. They've got the, this other army against them, the Philistines nearby. And they've got this warrior. And, and their kind of strategy sometimes in the battles, one of the things that they would do from time to time is to say, you know, instead of all our armies fighting each other and we all lose a lot of people and it's, it's kind of, a, you know, it's a, we just, everybody dies. How about instead of us all fighting each other, let's just, we'll pick our best and you pick your best. We'll let them fight and then, you know, become whoever loses. We serve the other. That's a great strategy, especially if you have like a 10-foot warrior. Uh, that's a great idea. And so that's what they're doing. And this is leaving, uh, this, this moment, this moment is what we'll call today the challenge. This was the challenge that the people of God were feeling. It was the challenge that they were experiencing. Do you know, every one of us will go in our lives through many moments of challenge. You know, there's a, uh, when I was first learning to, to preach and doing training in classes, I remember a quote I heard that I always wanted to remember. Was, it was a, a guy, I can't remember who it was, been preaching years and years. He said, always remember this when you stand up to speak to a, a crowd of people. He said, always remember this, that somewhere uh, in that crowd of people, you just got to know that basically just about every one of those people is either in the midst of a great challenge has just come out of a great challenge or is just about to head into a great challenge. That actually the nature of life, we sometimes think like life will be normal. We'll find a point in which it's like everything smooths out and we've got kind of smooth sailing ahead of us. But the reality of life is most of the time we're either experiencing some kind of challenge or we've just come through some kind of challenge or we're almost about to head into one. And it's not like that all the time. There's these gaps in between. But can I tell you this? God, God uh, allows these things that come into our paths because those moments end up shaping us and who we are. There's a guy, uh, Robert McKee, he wrote this book on writing screenplays, writing movies. He wrote this book called Story. And he's well known for it. It's kind of the book on how to write a screenplay, how to write a great story. And he talks about all the elements that a great story has. And, and one of the things he, he points out is in every great movie, in every great story, it begins with some kind of inciting incident. That's another word for some kind of challenge, some kind of problem that presents itself to a character. And great stories are about how people pursue and work through the challenges that come their way. You know why I tell you? It's because your life, God wants to write a story in your life. And as much as we'd all like to avoid challenges, when we engage them in a certain way with God, they actually become part of our story that make us who we are and that prepare us for stories that are yet to come. For the people of Israel at that point, they could put a name on their challenge, Goliath. Do you know what I know? For many of you right now, you could put a name on the greatest challenge you're facing. 
If I said, what's your greatest challenge? For many of you, be able to go, I, this is the greatest challenge I've got right now. And every one of us has an opportunity to, how do we, how do we engage those challenges? You know, for the, the, Israel, the Israelites and the people of God at that time, here's how the vast majority, nearly every one of them to a person, it tells us, was engaging it. It says that for many of them, whenever Goliath would come out and they'd hear what he had to say, Saul, the king, and all the Israelites, they were dismayed and terrified. This word dismayed is a word that comes from, uh, also is used in the word kind of shattered. It's almost like this idea. They're so frightened, they're almost paralyzed with fear. They can't go forward. They don't know what to do. They're just terrified. And whenever they would see him, they fled from him in great fear. Challenges, the thing they, they, they tend to provoke a couple responses. And the default reaction in life when we experience some kind of challenge, some kind of difficulty that comes our way, the default response is usually fear. Sometimes it's rational, sometimes it's not. But sometimes, you know, I mean, there, there were certainly some reasons you could understand they were terrified. What are we going to do? But this is... This is kind of what we can be tempted to, but the challenge is when you respond in fear, you just get stuck. Any momentum you experience stop you in your tracks. It can keep you from going forward. That's what was happening to the people of God in this moment. But David has a totally different response. David, you know, it's amazing what happens. David kind of hears what's going on. He's out in the fields. He's looking after sheep. He's, he's taking care of his father's sheep. He's doing what he was supposed to be doing. He hears about this. His father says, hey, why don't you take some food? Go check on your brothers. Go see what's happening. David comes out to the battle, and, and, he, and he starts looking around at this exact same situation, but through a very different lens. And David, as he kind of finds out what's going on, he says this. This is some of David's first words when he arrives there. It says, he asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? This is a disgrace. Like, we're the people of God. This is not good. We're just being taunted. Like, he says, what's going to be, what do you think it happened for the guy who took care of this? Who is this? And he asks the second question. Who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living? Like, who does this guy think he is? Like, who does he think he is? He's Goliath. He's 10 feet tall. He's got a sword as big as most of us. Who does he think he is? But David saw something very different. David, when he approached this situation, David has what we'll call almost like a, not only is he not afraid, he has what we'll almost call this like casual confidence about him. There's just fearlessness in this. I love his first question. like, what do you think would be done for the guy who kills him? Have you ever been around a group of guys where it's sort of like whatever it is comes up, but... They're like, you know, look at this food. It's disgusting. I give you 10 bucks to eat it. And then like, oh, yeah, oh, no, no, I would never do that. And then you're like, oh, what? No, 20 bucks. Yeah, I'd do that for 20. Like, I know you think it's a big deal. But for 20 bucks, I would definitely do that. You know, and you can like, whatever it is, you know, it could be looking at a giant roll. Who's going to, oh, I'll give you 10 bucks. I'll give you 50. It's almost like David's sort of like, seriously, people are afraid of this? And what do you think they'd give me if I, if I just took care of him? He's got this kind of casual like, I mean, who does this guy think he is? He's, he's defying the armies of the living God. I don't care if he's 10 feet tall. I don't care how big his sword is, how thick his armor is. David's fearless. And, and as we look at how he engages, you start to get a picture of where this fearlessness comes from. Because I don't know about you, but man, I'd love to be a follower of Jesus who is just kind of like when challenges or difficulties come my way, I approach them not from a place of fear that leaves me terrified and shattered but from a place of confidence in my God, from a place of fearlessness. 
from a place that says this may be coming at me, but I'm going to be like David, but I, I know that this challenge does not have the final word in this situation. David, here's where we get a little insight into where this comes from. David goes to the king. He goes to Saul. He's been finding out, okay, and he finds out here's what's going to happen. He learns a little bit more, and he says to Saul, listen, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Let no one lose heart. You know, that's what fear does, actually, is it makes you lose heart. It makes you lose hope. It makes you want to give up. It makes you feel, it just, you, you lose heart. Like, you can't go on. David says, no, 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 let nobody lose heart on account of him. Why? Because your servant, David's like, I will go and fight him. He's fearless. He's just like, I'm ready for this. I'm going to go forward with this. And Saul replied, the king's like, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. The king is like, David, what are you thinking? You're, you're young. You're probably 39, just a young man. <laughs> David, just kid. He's like, but he's been a warrior since his youth. This guy's been fighting his whole life. David says to Saul, listen, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, guess what? I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, that lion or a bear, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and killed it. Can somebody say, oh, <laughs> just, can I hear you, Malou? David, you're like, for real? This is how you roll. He's like, this is how I roll, Saul, just so you know, king. How, where does that even come from? David says, going a little bit further, he says, your servant, he's like, listen, I have killed both the lion and the bear. And this Philistine will just be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. He says God's reputation is at stake here. God's name is what's at stake here. And so this Philistine will be just like the lion and the bear. I am not worried about this because, he says in verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Can I tell you something? This is where David's fearlessness comes from. David's fearlessness didn't start by just charging against Goliath and this giant warrior. David's fearlessness was built away from the spotlight, out in a field, taking care of what he'd been entrusted to do. I mean, if it was me and a lion or a bear took a sheep, I feel like my default reaction would be like, sheep tend to look the same. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we can replace that sheep easier than we can deal with that bear or lion. Like, do we really, like every one of them, like they all are like so similar. Like, will we barely even, but David, David was like, this is the job I was given to do. My father's sheep, I've been entrusted to care for my father's, literally his dad's sheep. He's like, and if I'm entrusted to do that, this is how I do it. And he's like, so when no one's looking and when it seemed like not a big deal, he's like, I carry out the work God has given me to do faithfully. And I trust him in things great and small. And out in those fields, he began to have these experiences and moments of knowing when I actually do with boldness what I am meant to do, he begins to build up almost like a storehouse of memories 
of God's faithfulness in his life. Do you know, the reason that David was fearless where everyone else was terrified is because David's focus was on God's faithfulness. We see the, the, the armies, they come out and, and Goliath, you know, yells at them and they listen to what he's saying. And they're looking at how big he is. And Saul's like, he's been a warrior from his youth. You get, you've got nothing against this guy. David was like, I'm not even, his story, he's like, I'm not focused on the challenge that's in front of me. I'm focused on God's faithfulness behind me. He says, this is, he says, Saul, this is, you got to understand this. I've seen God at work then, and I know the God who was at work then with the lion and the bear will be at work now when I face this warrior. Can I tell you something? That the fearlessness comes as we build up a, a memory bank of uh, kind of moments where we see God at work in our life. Fearlessness comes when we trust God in, in one thing, and then we remember how we saw God work in here and know that the same God who did this can do that. The one who delivered me from the paw of the lion can deliver me from the paw of the bear, can deliver me from the warrior with all his armor. Fearlessness is not something you wake up with. It's cultivated and developed over a lifetime. And that the opposite of fearlessness is ultimately and simply faith. It's trust. It's confidence not, we're not fearless because like, hey, David wasn't like, oh, I'm such a great warrior. Wait till you see what I can do. His confidence, his fearlessness came from his focus on the faithfulness of God. And momentum is built through successive moments of experiencing God move in your life. David, he continued to take step after step from the lion and the bear to the warrior. And that's what built this incredible momentum in his life where even after Goliath, David's life and his journey with God was only just getting started because it was moment after moment after moment. Can I tell you something? I think for many of us, the greatest thing that could stop us from continuing to go forward with God or experiencing momentum as we follow God and the things he has for his life. And the greatest thing that could uh, cause us to lose momentum as a church as well, the, the greatest thing that can be like a threat to continuing to go forward when God calls us somewhere is fear. What will happen? How will I get through this? What, what, and, the, and the antidote to that fear is to focus on how we've seen God move in the past. You know, my hope in this season of momentum, and we're asking everybody uh, across our church, we're saying here's where we're going as a church. Here's where God's calling us to. There's a vision up ahead of us. And it's big and it's great and it's bold and it can make you say, how in the world could that ever become reality? But we believe it's what God's calling us to. And we believe the next step looks like this to lean into some key things over this next 12 months. And that's going to require all of us leaning in together, our whole mass moving forward with velocity. That's where momentum will come from. We're inviting each and every person to say, would you pray and ask God and have an encounter with God? How would he have you be a part of that? Knowing that as each one of us does that, we're continuing to build. We're building on the moments we've seen in the past. And we're building moments for the future. Where our storehouse of memories of seeing God at work is growing larger and larger. You know, when... My wife and I have been married 15 years this December. We'll celebrate our 15th anniversary. And uh, 
our, our, in our first couple of years, we had some big decisions. We've probably been married about a year, and we had kind of our first big decision to make as a couple. And that decision was uh, I was coming to the end of three years of studying uh, for ministry, doing a master's divinity. I needed to do an internship somewhere. And we were trying to pray and say, God, where would you have us go? And we looked at a few different options. We looked at a couple in the U.S. We looked at a couple that were overseas. One of them was Perth. And we were praying and just asking God, where do you want us? Where would you take us? And at that time, to think about, you know, kind of leaving the, the, uh, the, the country we'd grown up in and where we'd lived, it felt like an incredible, just kind of radical, like, wow, that feels huge to do. But as we prayed, we felt that God was saying, I want you to come to Perth. There was an opportunity at Subiaco Church here in Perth. And we felt God saying, that's where I want you to go for the year. But the unique thing about that opportunity was that the, the arrangement was going to be if we went there, they said, yeah, look, there's a great, I had a friend and a friend, and, and the arrangement was this will be great, come for a year, but there's only one catch, and that's this, that we can provide you a, a house to live in for the year, but uh, that's it. We'll give you a house, we'll give you a car, but if you're actually going to be able to do this, you're going to have to raise your own $10,000. They said, we think that's probably what it would take, about $10,000 for you to be able to kind of, you know, get by for the year, but you'll have to raise that yourself. Now, we're barely married, we've got kind of nothing to our name, and now we're thinking about what, we've got to go, and... And here's what I can tell you, that $10,000 looked like a mountain in front of us. Like, God, you're calling us to this, but where in the world will we come up with this? We have nothing to our, and how will this even work? While we were even kind of preparing, getting ready to go, you know, we knew that this would mean leaving as well. Not only, not only would we have nothing, but we'd be saying no to, to good jobs that would have paid us well. My wife was a teacher in New York City, and that was a good spot. I was teaching tennis, and a few months before we were going to go and wrestling with all this, the guy I used to work for, we were in New Jersey, and I used to work for him at a bunch of clubs around the area and just teaching tennis for him on the side while I was studying. And it, it, it was kind of in this incredibly, like, ultra-wealthy neighborhoods. One of the, like, Usher had a house in some of the neighborhoods where I worked. Um, so if you ever see Usher... Uh, serving, just know. <laughs> That's a lie. I never taught him, but he did live in the neighborhood. But he comes to me and he says, Dean, I know you're just about done with your whole kind of church do-gooder thing. You know, I wasn't a believer and just always would tell me, you just, I know you're trying to be a do-gooder or whatever. And he's like, Dean, but I've got a, a tennis club that you could run. He said, somebody just, one of my managers left. Not only, like, could you, you know, kind of keep working, but he's like, you could run this club. Now that, running a club where Usher might be a participant, a tennis club, um, anyway, uh, that, that was like, are you kidding me? Like, one, it's an amazing dream, something I'd love to do. Two, uh, you can imagine that kind of environment. It was going to look a whole lot more appealing than trying to raise your own $10,000 to live on, like, bread and peanut butter for a year. But we felt this is what God was calling us to do. Now, I don't, ultimately, we said, and I can still remember saying it. I'm like, dude, please stop talking to me. <laughs> I literally, and he's like, I know, I know. You want to be a do-gooder. I'm like, just stop. I don't want to hear anything else. We're going. And the point of this, this is what I would just say to you. And it's not like, wow, what a great, you know, people or decision that we made. But you know what happened out of that? Because we were willing to say, you know what, this looks like a mountain in front of us. This seems impossible at the time. We cannot imagine how God could provide in this situation. We ended up seeing miracle after miracle that provided and we had the, 
what we needed and people gave that we never expected and people said, yeah, hey, I would give you some money. And we were able to make it through that year and see God provide after provide. And we saw something that seemed impossible come to pass. And the reason I tell you that is because, again, not because, wow, that's so great, but do you know what it did? And I'm so grateful now for what seemed like an unconquerable giant at the time. I'm so grateful for it now because for the rest of our married life, when we've come to other decisions where we've had to trust God for his provision, every one of those moments builds on the next one. And every time that we think, oh, man, this looks like a challenge, but we say, you know what? The same God who did that, he's here now. And then it's like we go through that moment. And we come to the next and we're like, man, the same God who did that and that, he's here now. And the same God who did that and that and that and that. And you know what? We've been able to go through 15 years of seeing successive moments of watching God provide. So that when we come to a moment like this one and we feel God calling us to give in a sacrificial or generous way, we don't go, oh, man, what's going to happen? We're like, God, what are you asking? Because whatever you're asking, we've seen it before. We know we will see it again. And we just want to be a part of what you're doing. Can I tell you something? My hope and my dream for every one of us as a church is that this would be a season where you can take another step forward as you follow God. The reason we're asking every person to pray and to seek after God and to say, how would you ask me to be a part of this? Because we know what God's called us to as a church is kind of so big. It will take all of us moving together. And I believe that God wants to do something in every one of our hearts to grow and increase our faith and trust in him, to make us a little bit less a little more fearless than we were before, a little more focused on his faithfulness, a bit of a bigger mass of stories of God's faithfulness in our lives that we carry with us into the future. Do you know, I, we, we, we're inviting and asking every person this season to pray, to ask what God would have you do. And, and the reason as well for that is because I don't know what your next step is, and that's between you and God. And there will be some who, as you pray and you're thinking about, hey, I want to be part of Momentum, but I'm kind of in this season and moment of life where I can't give and there's nothing I can do. Can I tell you something? We know there will be some who, you know, you can't give in this season. You may be in the middle of a health crisis, a financial crisis, a job crisis. You may have an unbelieving spouse and to give financially would actually be to dishonor them. That's okay. Our goal is simply that every person takes the step that is appropriate to them. Because when everybody keeps moving forward wherever we're at, my next step's not your next step and your next step's not my next step. But when everyone says, God, what are you asking me to do? Momentum begins to grow. You know, I love the idea even when it comes to, to giving of thinking about it like something that develops over time. That you know what, for some, your first step even in this season of momentum, maybe giving for the first time. You've trusted God with your life, but you've never, you've always thought, man, I can't let go or what will happen if I gave something. You know what, your first step being a part of momentum for you may be just giving something for the first time. We take up a special offering that for the first time you release something and say, God, this, I want to invest it in what you're doing. I'm going to trust you. For others, you may have given for a while or you've given for that first time. But you know what, maybe this is a season where your next step is to become a proportional giver. The scriptures always teach about giving a percentage. And we see in the scriptures always this idea of our first 10% that we honor God with the first and best of what we have. Maybe this is a season where for the first time. You say, I'm just going to trust God with that. Feels like a mountain, but I'm going to take that step. And for others, you know, you've journeyed that for a long time. And you go, you know what, I know this is not a law to be followed. It's something that was there to help me learn what it looks like to trust God with everything. And I want to be a kingdom giver. Lord, whatever you ask, whatever you lay on my heart, if it's for your kingdom, I want all my resources to always be at your disposal. 
And this next season, God may call you to do something like he's never done before. What matters is every one of us seek God and say, God, what do you have for me? And my hope, you know, this is what I know. As, as, we, as you go through life, here's what can happen for each one of us as an individual who follows God. That when you begin to, you know, if momentum is mass times velocity, if in your own life and journey with God, you build up more and more mass, more and more a storehouse of memories of seeing God at work, the bigger that kind of collection, that storehouse of God's faithfulness becomes, and the more that's combined with velocity, that I'm obeying God now in whatever he's asking me to, the more momentum that you experience. Because God wants to call us further and further into the things he has for us. My hope and prayer is for every one of us to begin to experience more of God's faithfulness in our lives and to focus more on his faithfulness. Do you know the... The amazing thing of what, you know, kind of, you know, momentum is all about. What this looks like for, for each one of us as we follow God. And whatever the nature of the challenges we face are. What it looks like for us as a whole church to follow God. Every time we get to go through a season of a challenge. Every time we go through a season where God might stretch us. He does this because he is also always going to prepare us for more and more and more. And the momentum of that only stops when we kind of get too afraid to take that one next step. Do you know that ride that year, the next year, I went back to Cedar Point. I went back to that theme park. I was now, maybe I was eight years old, seven, eight years old. And I'd had all year to think about that and what I'd missed out on because I was too afraid the previous year. And so I went in ready to go. I was like, I am riding this ride. I had talked myself through the fact that no one ever walks off, you know, in a blazing inferno on these rides, you know. The Ock Health and Safety would not allow me to be in a truly dangerous situation. I can trust, and I didn't really exactly uh, work through all that, but I just kind of knew. There's nothing to be afraid of here. I'm riding that ride. And I went back and I rode that ride. And you know what the great the great thing is? This is, you know what, all these challenges are all the new steps or all the things God calls you to. The momentum gets exciting because every one of them positions you for a greater and greater moment. I mean, that thing felt like a mountain at the time. It scared me to death. It paralyzed me with fear. I cannot go on that ride. But as I worked through that, over the next few years, they started to build bigger rides. Instead of 60-foot drop, they built the power tower, a 250-foot drop, 76 meters. But you know what? If I'd have never conquered the demon drop, I'd have never conquered the power tower. And the first year it opened, I wanted to be first in line to ride that thing. And every time you go through a moment and you experience something, you know, God has greater rides ahead for you. He doesn't do these things, to, you know, and doesn't want to leave you just paralyzed. He wants to do things in our lives so we can go on more fun adventures with him than we've yet experienced. You know, a couple more years after that, they built one called Top Thrill Dragster that had a 400-foot drop at a 90-degree angle. I was first in line the first chance I could. You know, there, there are always, just know this, this is what momentum's are. There are always greater things ahead. God never, you know, what if I'd have just been like, that's great. I did it. I rode the demon drop. 
And what if I was still standing here today going, you know what? When I was seven years old, I conquered my fear. I rode the demon drop. That would be the saddest roller coaster story ever. (laughs) Our best stories are not meant to be in the past. God has greater things ahead for us. And here's my hope for you. Whatever whatever your, your journey with God is right now, whatever the challenges you find in front of you, whatever you're working your way through, I want to encourage you to look back over your life at how you've seen God at work and focus not on what's the challenge ahead of you, but to focus on his faithfulness, to focus on the ways you've seen him. And as you take steps in this season, you're going to build your bank of memories of what God's done, and you're going to get ready for the next one and the next one and the next one. And when you come to the end of your story, when you come to the, 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 the fullness of your life, you're going to look back and see how God took you from strength to strength and through one challenge to the next and built your faith. And you're going to have stories to tell of the faithfulness of God in your life. Do you know that first year that uh, when we got married on our wedding day, one of the songs we sang at our wedding was this song, uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And it's this old hymn. And it just talks about the faithfulness of God in every season and in every moment. And his mercies that are new for us each day. They're not things in the past. And, and there are, it, it just talks about, you know, his strength for today and hope for tomorrow. It's a song that celebrates God's faithfulness in our life. And faithfulness, the more we understand of God's faithfulness, the more fearless we become. And I'd love us to, and, and the thing I loved about singing that even on our wedding day was because, you know, we were setting out on an adventure with God. And that adventure has been one story after another of seeing God's faithfulness. And that's my, I think that's God's dream for every one of our lives. Every one of us. The story's always going to look different. The situations, the challenges, the, the nature of the story, where we're at in it, the, the, the story will look different for every one of us. But what God I know wants for every one of us, what I know God wants for our church is that we are uh, people constantly who are able to tell stories and new ones and fresh ones of God's faithfulness in our life. Who become fearless as we follow him to wherever he would lead. We're going to sing this song together in just a moment. In fact, I'm going to invite the teams to come up. And I'm going to invite you just to stand where you are. And Molu, why don't you guys stand up. And I want to just pray for us as a church before we sing this. And I want to just pray. Uh, And I want to pray especially today that if you are a person who you're wrestling with fear, whatever that fear may be, whatever that challenge may be, but you're kind of battling your way through that and you're saying, God, I don't want to approach this situation with fear. I want to be able to focus on you. I want to focus on how big you are. I want you to begin to, to kind of take what was fear and I want, to, I want you to make me more like David, God, where my confidence in you just leaves me kind of fearless in the face of whatever it is. If you're someone today who wants to just let go of some fear, I want to encourage you in a moment to just open your hands. In fact, why don't you just close your eyes, bow your heads at Mullaloo. You can close your eyes, bow your heads. And if you want to just receive that prayer, you want to offer up that fear and ask God to replace it with faithfulness, I want you just to open your hands in front of you. You know what fear does? Fear makes us want to grab on tight, want to hold on and and feel like if I don't, you know, I don't know what will happen. I want to encourage you just to open your hands before him. Release it. I want to pray for you. 